Good. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the, I guess, call it recreational thinking light, a stripped down version, which doesn't really have structure or keeping scores, just questions and answers. And uh, we'll, uh, to, to save time, I'll uh, skip having the contestants introduce themselves. But we have here uh, Matthew Marcus, Ben Bass, and uh, Henry Stringer. Uh, and since, you know, we're again doing it kind of stripped down, we don't need uh, to pick an order. You can all just sort of uh, work together or, you know, pretty much say whatever you want. We're, we're experimenting with anarchy here. Excellent. <laughs> all right. So uh, let's just start with a question that uh, actually hasn't yet appeared on a super hard quiz, although it probably will on the next one I write. Uh, in 2001, CBS released a miniseries called Blonde which starred the Australian actress Poppy Montgomery, uh, pre-Without-A-Trace, as uh, Marilyn Monroe. This uh, miniseries, even though it was at a time when there weren't all that many women working in major roles behind the camera in TV and movies, it was actually written and directed by women, but two different women. Appropriately, what first name did they both share, at least professionally? Are the questions going to be posted in the chat, or...? Uh, well, not, not that one. Um, okay. But gotcha. Yeah. So blonde and it was about Marilyn Monroe. And they appropriately shared a name. Hmm. Well, probably not Marilyn. I mean, let's see. Are there any, uh, people that Marilyn Monroe is, are known is, is known for portraying or I'm, I'm. Yeah, who is she in some like oh, I, oh, I can't remember actually, honey or something, sugar, sugar cane. All right. So since uh, the um, you know, again, we're not doing the usual format. I I can also give hints when I see that you're not making progress. So uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so here's your here's your first hint. What what was the title? I told you. Well, when you said the title, I was hoping you were going to ask whom it was about because that I didn't. Yeah, blonde. blonde. Yes. Does that does that remind you of anything? Are there any other works you can think of with that title? Blonde. Blonde. Well, there's a new blonde, right? Right. And uh, what is that? Do you know anything about that movie? Um, Anna. Anna Armas. Right. Anything else? Any any other <laughs> any other female names you connect with it? Nick Cave did the soundtrack. No, I don't. I'm, I'm stuck. Do you remember what it's it's so is, is it a is it a direct biopic? Uh, I my whole life I've said biopic, and then a few years ago I realized I was technically saying it wrong, but I was stubbornness. I've stuck with biop the biopic pronunciation since. Biopic sounds better. It technically does. Exactly. Just myopic, right? Yes. Bioptic, yes. you know. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. You watch it with two eyes. Most people. So it's right. Just, yeah. Be someone's interpretation of Marilyn Monroe, but who's? Who is? That is the question I'm asking. Yes. Oh, man, that's a question. <laughs> I guess I chose the wrong uh, bio biopic. I guess to write about for uh, history. <laughs> <laughs> I did uh, 32 short films. Gone Gould. No. Okay. <laughs> All right. So so both the CBS. Okay. So this is the answer. The answer. So both the CBS miniseries and the uh, more recent Andrew Dominic film were based on the same novel. That novel is called Blonde. It was a finalist for both the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction and the National Book Award for Fiction. It was by Joyce Carol Oates. Oh, okay. The, the miniseries was scripted by Joyce Eliason and directed by Joyce Chopra. It was a joyceful affair. 
Oh boy. All right. Uh, this one. Uh, all right. Let's try this one. I will paste in the chat. Whose time in the hardcore punk band Arson Anthem and the heavy metal band Superjoint suggests that his father and grandfather may not be his only musical influences? I remember seeing this question. <laughs> That's the first step. <laughs> uh, uh, it's far, I, this was some sort of country person. Right. Country person the third. I don't know any country person the thirds. Loudon Wainwright the third? I don't know. Not really a country musician. Oh, okay. Not right. Hank Williams. Ah, there we are. Yes, there we go. Thank you. Yes. So so this this musician is Hank Williams the third, not really following all that much in the footsteps of uh uh Hank Williams and Hank Williams Jr. But uh just in uh does anyone know the actual first names of the three Hank Williams? Hmm. I no. always assumed they were just all Henry. But right, but of course, uh, yes, none of them were in fact Henry. Oh, uh, Hank, Hank Williams' first name was Hiram. Hank Williams Jr. was named Randall. And Hank Williams III was named Shelton. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's okay. not just for Shooter Jennings anymore. <laughs> oh, Indeed. Okay. <laughs> All right. So here is a question that that if you don't know the answer, I will then ask another question that relates to it. And maybe you can deduce or uh, the answer may relate to that. But all right, let's let's as an analogy, Ealing is to comedy as Hammer is to horror as blank is to melodrama. Oh, mm. it's a whole melodrama film industry somewhere. Oh, wow. <laughs> It's in the UK. Um, I don't remember my I, ah, man. I should have taken a deeper dive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so all right. So now I will ask if that doesn't help, I'll ask a seemingly unrelated question with an overlapping answer. After earning his fortune the old-fashioned way, marrying his uncle's widow. Henry E. Huntington purchased which two 18th century portraits in the 1920s and hung them opposite each other in the same room? They can still be seen there if you go to the Huntington, which I think is in Pasadena, California. Uh, although they previously were not thought of as connected, these paintings are now so culturally intertwined that one critic termed them the Romeo and Juliet of Rococo portraiture. I was in Pasadena last week and I went to the Norton Simon Museum, which turns out to have been a mistake. <laughs> the wrong one. Rococo portraiture. Um, We're not talking about the Brownings by any chance. Nope. 18th century. Make sure I have that. Uh... I think I'm, I'm in the wrong century. <laughs> All are right. They man, are they a man and a woman? So, uh, they are uh well Georgia okay yeah, yes you can you can deduce from that certainly right. that they are one figure is they're basically pr almost certainly both portraits one male and one female gilbert stewart george and martha washington uh no as i said they were thought of as unconnected until they were exhibited in the same got room. it got it uh oh apparently said it's technically san marino california which i think is probably right next to pasadena sure uh, 18th century poets. 
but uh so so again not just are they one male and one female what are the what are some colors you might associate we're talking about painting what are some colors you might associate with male and female uh oh i mean pink and blue yeah yes does that can, can you think of any paintings that that is exactly the colors i was trying to hint toward <laughs> can you think of any paintings that might reflect that from the blue the, boy Madonna of the Pinks, no. So, so the more obscure of them is called Pinky. At least that's I see on Wikipedia that says this. Is a, that's the traditional title. It may not have been given an official title, uh, but uh, it is by Thomas Lawrence, painted in 1794, and it hangs opposite exactly what Matthew said, Gainsborough's The Blue Boy. Oh, oh nice. Also oh. painted in the late 18th century, also by a man named Thomas, but otherwise unconnected, and. Uh, now, can you do want to take another guess at what the name of the studio that is linked to melodramas the way Ealing is linked to comedies and Hammer is to horror is? Pinky Blue Boy. <laughs> blue and pink. Blue pink. Pink blue. Oh. Not quite. Uh, it's Cute. called Gainsborough Pictures. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's a route, but uh, a clever one. All right. Uh, here's a, let's try this question. Again, this will be in the chat. Uh, Bevo, Pablo, Vivo, Luxo, and I think that's FAMO, F-A-M-O, are all products of what type that were developed circa 1920? Are these cigarettes? They are not. But Something these... about like projection, like motion picture or camera related? So if you combine, so so Henry is thinking along the terms of vices. Ben is thinking along the terms of 1920. What was going on historically? Are now, they if, lesser known Marx brothers? <laughs> they are not. I want to answer that. If you combine Henry's path and Ben's and ignore Matthews, <laughs> are they liquor? Well, this is circa 1920. Oh, so are they uh, just disgraced voting systems? No. Uh, liquor substitutes. There we go. These are all quote unquote near beers, non alcoholic. Oh, uh, oh, there we go. Okay. Bevo. Yeah. Yes. Sounds disgusting. <laughs> sure, I would have drunk it had I been there. All right. Let's. Uh... Hmm. All right. Let's try this. Uh... In a rare example of a major journalistic outlet profiling a man because he has done nothing of note with his life, a 2000 Wall Street Journal article revealed that a nine-year-old boy named Albert Clark was bequeathed publishing royalties by what prolific children's author upon her 1952 death? This has provided him with enough income to live comfortably despite never holding a regular job. Is this good night, Moon author, Morgan Wise Ground? Okay, so Henry has seen this sorry. one before, I think. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. I knew it was Goodnight Moon, right. but I still hadn't got her name. Right. Uh, but okay. yes, it is. It is Goodnight Moon uh, author. Um, yeah, let's let's uh, look for some older questions. Yeah, maybe before sorry about that. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. It means you've been paying attention. Uh, well done. All right. Uh, all right. So Margaret Weisbaum was the answer. Uh, There's an older one. Let's see. Uh, two years after the 2017 creation of Dow DuPont, it was split up into three separate companies, Dow, DuPont, and what? I mean, following the portmanteau, we have to have something in the middle. Audu, 
I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the comma at the end of the question. No. Uh, yeah, it was radio station WDUP. Dow Pont. Let's see. <laughs> so. Huh. Uh, not, nothing Dow Jones related. I know Dow Chemical is what we're talking about, but nothing Dow Jones related. Uh, uh, games take one cube and turn it into two. How can you get an extra <laughs> company out of those two companies? Yeah, okay. So this one is a little bit more. This one is basically kind of, I think you either know it or you don't. Um, the, the name of the company, the third company that was formed was called Cortiva or something like that. I mean, that's, see, I, I know how it's spelled. I'm guessing at the pronunciation. Um, but yes, the, the thing, the interesting thing about that was this prior to the merger that created Dow DuPont, DuPont was on the Dow Jones. Uh, after they split in 2019, it's Dow DuPont seat in the Dow Jones was in fact given to Dow, meaning that for the first time, Dow was a member of the Dow. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. All right. Uh, okay. This one, uh, if you if you follow Paul Sinna's radio show, you'll you'll have heard this before, but otherwise it'll be new. Uh, the 2015 Best Actor César Award went to Pierre Minet, beating out fellow nominee Gaspar Ulliel. Both men were nominated for playing which 20th century figure in separate biopics? I see we've been we've been joined by Raghuveer Mukamala. Like yeah, I said, we have. Uh, we, like I said, we have an atmosphere of anarchy going on, so sure, why not? <laughs> Answer the questions if you can, Raghavir, we can't. <laughs> Mostly. Uh, I'm not surprised, it's Yogesh. So. Yogesh is a tough quiz master. Right, so these are French men. What kind of biopics biopics would the French be very interesting? Um, how about Pompidou? Yeah. Um, let's see. Separate biopics. <laughs> A big biopic war in 2015. Exactly, yes. Or at least for that eligibility here, yeah, I think. Uh, Charles de Gaulle? I mean, those are all, uh, I think actually they both came out in 2014, but for the 2000, they're eligible for the 2015 Cesars. Uh, but yes, there was a bit of a, a biopic war. Um, but you know, you're you're thinking of prominent French people, which is correct, but maybe think a little more stereotypically French. What are these stereotypes? Some stereotypically French uh, cultural fields. We got Ooh. film. Foucault. Oh, so, uh, Lumiere. Yeah, you have. Oh, you have. Yes, film. But that's. I mean, there are people all over the world are in are prominent in in film. It's not that, not that stereotypically French. Uh, How about a chef? That's that is one possibility. But I I will narrow your search by telling you it's not someone culinary. Do a footballer? No, that's okay. they're doing that currently. Oh, let's see. It's another sort of stereotypically French field of cultural production. Wine. Yeah, but like I said, nothing that's food or drink related. Oh yeah, yeah, musicy. But um, I I don't really I wouldn't call that stereotypically French. Really, I don't know. Drugging, drugging, onions. Mm. Drama, not not drama, not. Uh, uh, do the French do? Do they do? Oh, anything? ballet! Is this a ballet sort of thing? Uh, nope. It's like not, dance, it's, or it is related to the arts, but not necessarily performing arts. 
and not philosophy. So would, could they be so would they uh, be like an impresario? How about architecture? What's another what's another art? Maybe one that's more maybe one that's become more recognized as an art form in the Board past. That's that is one. Well, what else has become more recognized as an art form in the past century or so? Hmm. Comic Cartoon. books. Comic books, cartoonists. Did you say hummingbirds? Hummingbirds, no comic books, but hummingbirds. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Uh. Pornography. No, that's that's not right. <laughs> Look at us flounder. <laughs> Uh, what, what do the French do? I don't know. I can't think of anything the French have ever done at this point, which is crazy. Lalik? Rene Lalik? No, that's not 18th, 20th century. Mm. The French must do something. So you were you mentioned architecture, so you're thinking along the lines of design. What else might design? Uh, okay. Uh, the the art novel. Art novel. Furniture. Mm. Tube stations. So I can't help but notice that all four of you are male. Perhaps if there were, uh, is a this a, a Coco Chanel? No, I mean, well, both men. So the answer is obviously Fashion. a man. Fashion. But since you, you're, you're Yves okay, Saint, Yves Saint Laurent. Yves Saint, it is Yves Saint Laurent. Yves yes. Saint Laurent. Okay. Okay. Got about clothes. I, you you made me indulge in gender stereotyping, but but uh, at least it got you to the answer. Okay. Uh, Great work, gentlemen. We got there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, I think hmm. I think I have uh, asked this one before, but on the podcast, I mean, but um, I kind of messed it up when I tried asking it on the podcast. So here I think is a cleaner version of it. Um, and if you if you remember it from the podcast, you can just recuse yourself. Uh, a kind of murder 2016 starring Patrick Wilson as a man suspected of killing his annoying wife, Jessica Beale, by an overly tenacious police detective, Vincent Cartheiser, was an adaptation of The Blunderer the third novel by which author whose first two novels were far more successfully brought to the screen. I have a guess. Go for it. Is it Dan Brown? Uh, no, it is not. Uh, it's not something, uh, uh, first two novels were far more successfully brought to the screen. Only two novels. I think the blunder I is Brown's autobiography. <laughs> let's see. I'm, let's see, like, I mean, a kind of I'm would would the the would a kind of murder like fit into the same sort of genre? Like, would it be another mystery? I had film? the same question. That's a, a good a good murder, thought. Mystery, murder mysteries. I had the exact same question. So you're clearly looking at someone who whose works maybe often focus on the the crime genre, maybe involve murder, um, specifically the notion of. Uh, a man who is under suspicion of murder uh, and who is perhaps psychologically troubled as a oh, result Camus? of uh, no, 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 it has to be Ripley. How about Ripley? Uh, how many novels of Highsmith did, did they make into movies? One is obviously the talented Mr. Ripley. What else? Carol? Carol was her book, right? Yeah, so her, yeah her second book was The Price of Salt, which was adapted into the uh, movie Carol. Her first uh, was Strangers on a Train, which was adapted into the movie Strangers on a Train. And her third was The Blunderer, which was adapted into a kind oh, of I, oh, I thought there were far more of yeah, Yes, there are, but, but there are, uh, they came after that. Uh, oh, I see. The, the rip, I, I, I didn't say she only wrote three novels. Uh, sure, okay. <laughs> 
Well done. <laughs> yeah, the ripping. Yeah, novel. that was tough. Good job. All right. Uh, how about this? The the fictitious New Mexico town that is the setting for the Vast of Night, a very a low budget uh, sci fi film recently that I thought was extremely good. Oh, was pre- amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, uh, was christened in homage to the Twilight Zone's production company, but also shares its name with which component tribe of the, what was then called the Iroquois Confederation, nowadays usually the Haudenosaunee. Didn't Desilu produce that show? So the original sort of unofficial pilot for it aired on the Desilu Playhouse or Westinghouse Playhouse, but but no, I, I don't think it was actually produced by Desilu. Uh, what are the component tribes of Iroquois? Uh, so we got Seneca, Cayuga, Onondaga, Oneida, uh, Mohawk, and then Tuscarora. Oh, that's good knowledge. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a, it's a sort of a New York history class sort of thing. Yeah, let's drag our brains for the titles of the Twilight Zone uh, production company. I mean, I think I think at this point I can I, I'll because really it's just now. If this were an actual question, you just have to pick one of the things Henry said. Uh, but so I'll just tell you, it's Cayuga. Okay. Uh, I was going to say Seneca would be a great name for a production company, but it isn't. Yeah. But the vast of night, the screenplay was like out of the world. I was blown away by it. I mean, the direction was amazing too. Just the long takes, the yeah, yeah the the one. There's like a nine minute long take of a girl sitting in front of a switchboard, just making connections in it, and it is absolutely mesmerizing. Exactly the sort of thing you sound on paper like it should be completely uncinematic, and it is the most cinematic thing. I've watched it, and also such a familiar like trope, uh, something we have seen time and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but such an engaging movie. Highly what, recommend it. What were you saying, Matthew? I've seen Satan Tango, and that takes like eight hours. <laughs> half an hour with a girl putting a cat into a bag. So <laughs> lots of trudging around in, in the mud. Right. Composed in 1910 by the Leighton Brothers and popularized the following year by Arthur Collins, what hit song is today remembered chiefly for inspiring two separate, now classic, 1928 movies? Ooh. Let's see. What movies came out in 28? Hmm. Metropolis was 25, never mind. So, uh, in terms of, the, yeah, when I say movies, I, I not necessarily feature films. They might be, one of them is a short. Steamboat Willie? So, yeah, so uh, what was the other movie that came out around the same time that the title Steamboat Willie was referencing? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh. Uh, junior uh yeah it was it was a reference to buster keaton steamboat bill jr and the both of those titles were references to this popular at the time now forgotten popular song called steamboat bill Mm. okay cool in my spotify wrapped (laughs) should be all right what Oh, okay. Let's try this one. Uh, Prague-based American animator Gene Deitch is known for the Oscar-winning Monroe, 1960, and for his contributions to the Popeye and Tom and Jerry series. Less remembered is that in 1967, he made the first-ever film adaptation of What Book? Created on a minuscule budget using still photographs of concept art, it was produced solely to retain the rights to this book, which were later sold back to the original author at a profit. Mm-hmm. The Jungle Book? 
no. No, Kipling was uh, dead by then, so it yeah. can't well, it be. Kipling in the 70s, no way. Let's see. Film out of so... Lord of the Rings. I don't know. Close. Well, if if yeah. not if not Lord of the it, it, it would be Hobbit. Is it, the Hobbit? Hobbit. Is it, is it yes. the Rankin Bass Hobbit sort of thing? So I mean, basically, like he had, like it, it was basically uh, just an eleven-minute, quote-unquote, film that was made solely because, like, legally the the right when you sell the rights to something, oftentimes they'll revert back to the author if no if if they're not used. So they had to basically prove that they were working on something. So this was basically kind of just rushed out so they could maintain the rights, which were eventually sold back to Tolkien at a profit, and then later adapted into multiple other things. Uh, oh, so this preceded Ralph Bakshi's production too. Okay. Yep. Tolkien was only around till like seventy three. Is that when? But yeah, it fits the time scale. Yeah, it is though. I mean, I think you can find it on YouTube. It is technically the first ever film adaptation of The Hobbit, since it does it does tell the story of it. Uh, the original and best. <laughs> so if you're a real hipster, you have to be like, no, no, you have to see this one. This is the real one. <laughs> minutes, but it goes really fast. Yes. Uh, all right. This I will. I let this is. Let's call this a description acceptable. You don't necessarily need the person's name, but a description of who they were. Who controversially showed up at the U.S. Embassy in New Delhi in 1967, not long after dispersing the ashes of her lover, Brajesh Singh, in the River Ganga, or if you are a gringo, Ganges? Yeah. Controversial. Of her lover, Brajesh Singh. I mean, this is something I should know, but I don't. Uh, let's see, the timeline... Who would have married someone like Prajesh Singh? And why would she show up at the U.S. Embassy? Hmm. Uh, so I'm wondering if this person is American. Yeah. Or sounds like it. So aside from uh, from Henry, I think we're all old enough to at least remember to some degree the Cold War. It was, I certainly it, it only overlapped with the very very opening part of my life, but still, you know, through cultural osmosis, you you remember the past few decades. Why why were people showing up in embassies in uh, during the Cold War? Claiming asylum, basically to defect, right? Trying to defect. Yep. Yeah. Oh. Yes. So who would it have made headlines? Uh, not necessarily someone famous by name, but by position. Who would it have made headlines when they tried to when they uh, basically defected to the West in New Delhi? So, uh, some Russian spy or some someone connected not, to the Soviet Union? Yes, someone connected to the Soviet Union. Any could anyone don't want to make any more progress along those lines? Mrs. Uh, Khrushchev. Okay, so this was uh, Svetlana. Uh, uh, I guess, I guess she wasn't technically married to Brajesh Singh, so she, I, uh, I'm not sure what legally her surname would have been at the time. I think probably Aliluyeva, but uh, she was the daughter of Joseph Stalin. Stalin. Oh, Stalin. yes. Okay. Huh. Oh, that's uh, a deep cut. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Uh, then she, her after coming to the U.S. for she her fourth husband, uh, she married her fourth husband and began living as Lana Peters. Um, and her daughter actually is, uh, last I checked, at least according to the last news article I found, is currently working as a bartender in Portland, going by the name Crease Evans. 
which bar I'm going to go and drink right now. <laughs> and exchange some stories. Yeah. That's a good thing to uh, to want to know. Um, uh, all right. Here's, well, okay. This might be, uh, let's see how this, let's just see how this plays. Uh, what three-word phrase similar, si ah, what three-word phrase familiar to Lemony Snicket fans also describes generically the group responsible for the annual pony penning on Assateague and Chincoteague Islands? Is this the volunteer fire department? It is, yes. I was oh, nice. I was very amused to discover that the group that does it is in fact a volunteer an actual volunteer fire department. Hmm. <laughs> all right. Uh, of, uh, of course you are all aware or at least you should be, I guess, if uh, that Marvin Gardens is the only property on the Monopoly board that is misspelled and also the only one not located in Atlantic City. In which city is it? Knowing what Marvin means gives you a 50-50 shot. I definitely knew the part before the comma, but of course that would that would have been too easy for you to ask. Mm -hmm. There's no Marvin Gardens on a Monopoly board. What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> thinking of Oxford Street. Uh -huh. Carry on. Right. So, I like that. where does the name? Okay. So, all right. Down to our last 10 minutes. Uh, all right. That's fine. Uh, so, where does the name uh, Marvin Garden? So, on a Monopoly board, it's spelled like the name Marvin, M A R V I N. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. The actual name is M A R V E N. Does anyone know where that name comes from? So, okay. Maryland. Yeah. So, basically, the neighborhood is directly on the border of two, I guess, municipalities or uh, cities or whatever called Margate City and Ventnor City. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's the 50-50 shot. Um, but I'll just tell you that Marvin Marvin Gardens mm -hmm. is, in fact, in Margate City. Huh. Huh. Yeah. Kent. Hence the Mar part. Okay. All right. Let's try this one. Anna Bock, a Belgian painter and the sole female member of Le Vent, or XX, meaning 20, was long believed to have been the only person to have done what between the years 1853 and 1890? Bathed. <laughs> Displayed uh, in, in a famous museum, maybe Louvre, no. Done what? Only person is pretty pretty rarefied. Right. So so the keywords here only person and then uh, look at the end Long. of the question. The why are, thirty-seven year. No. Why are those specific? Why are yeah. those specific years provided? What happened in eighteen? Oh, okay. Oh, someone who knew Vincent Van Gogh or something like that. So what? Yeah. What was it? It's always said that only one person ever did with regard to oh, Vincent. by Vincent Van Gogh's painting. Okay, there I see. Ah, lovely. Yes. Nice. Yeah, the red vineyard or something like that. Yes. Yes. Oh, very good. It's uh, a good question. They uh, Yeah, that's any question. All right. Mm, you know, a lot of these I've uh, I've used before, and I'm trying to. Uh well, okay. This is this question originally came with a picture. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, I don't think you need it to, uh, necessarily. So, uh, basically, um, 
I, I originally had a few stills from the movie Fifty Shades of Grey. And I said these scenes featuring Anastasia Seal and her light blue Volkswagen Beetle Wanda were filmed on the campus of the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. In which city are they meant to take place? In other words, in which city are these scenes featuring Anastasia Steele in college actually set within the world of Fifty Shades of Grey? Gonna say it's not Vancouver. Well, I saw the first 15 minutes and she walks up a big skyscraper. Uh, that's the only thing I remember. So let's say Seattle, maybe. No. So so let's uh let's return to what Matthew said, right? Based on the based on just the conventions of how questions are written, generally people don't just write the answer to the question in the question. Right. So that was why Matthew said it's clearly not Vancouver. But what Vancouver if it, Heights. But what if it were? Okay. How mm. could I get her how could I get around the uh convention that you don't put the name, the answer to the question in the question. Not Vancouver, Washington. It... So Anastasia Steele was in fact a student not at the University of British Columbia or anywhere else in Canada. She was a student of the campus about half a mile from where I'm currently sitting. <laughs> Washington <laughs> State University in Vancouver, Washington. Oh, That's amusing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Here, try this. From the shores of Nova Scotia to the forest in BC, from Montreal to Winnipeg, from sea to shining sea, from Detroit, we can see her above the USA because there's pride in every Canadian heart and it's time to stand and say. Are lyrics from which singer-songwriter's cheesy attempt to cash in on patriotism? Really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Leonard Cohen. Nope. Uh, Celine Dion? <laughs> what was that? Celine Dion. Nope. Poutine Greenwood. So, uh, I mean, basically, Ben has it, right? This was, it, Because uh, Lee Greenwood's God Bless the USA, he, he really wasn't able to capitalize on it by giving NS any new material. He instead decided to capitalize it by cannibalizing his old material and rewriting God Bless the USA to be about Canada. <laughs> that's, that's how patriotic he was. I hope he uh, applied this to other countries as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's only a matter of time. All right. Uh, portrayed uh, by, it's supposed to say portrayed by George Rose in A Night to Remember, 1958. Charles Joffan was a victualler aboard the Titanic who survived the sinking and apparently suffered no ill effects despite bobbing around in numbingly cold ocean water for approximately two hours until his rescue. This amazing feat of endurance is often attributed to Joffan's decision to do what as soon as he realized the vessel was doomed. Mm -hmm. You like take a nap or something. It's super drunk. That is exactly right. Yes. He got yeah. completely plastered on alcohol. That's wow. what I'd have done. Oh, the wow. uh, Hitchhiker's Guide uh, method, I suppose. Indeed. Uh, all right. West Indies-born Harlem politician J. Raymond Jones was the final leader of what organization, which largely ceased being relevant following the downfall of Carmine de Sapio? Mm -hmm. okay. so like could this be uh like tammany hall or something some new york it's uh... not not only could be but it is tammany hall oh, oh good job. okay 
All right, uh, let's try this. I think we're, de uh, well, depending on how, we'll see how long this takes. All right, even though he translated into English the novel it was based on, whose name will you not spy in the credits of Walt Disney's Bambi? Raymond Chandler? <laughs> Raymond Chandler didn't really have much to do, well, no. didn't really have much to do with spies, really. Tim Philby. No, no. Uh, this is, is this Fleming? Fleming? So that, yeah. I think the most common guess when I asked this is Fleming, a very logical guess. He was very involved in intelligence work during World War II, in addition, of course, to his... Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, as fun as it would be if Ian Fleming uh, wrote the English language version of Bambi, it's, that's not the correct answer. Salton was the original writer of Bambi. Uh, Felix Salton, yes. That's that's not really relevant. Yeah. So, all right, so, since we're, we're heading toward the two-minute mark, I will I will give you a hint that... This is not someone who was who is associated with a fictional spy. Okay, uh, real spy. Real yes. Spy. Um, I mean, Julia Child, she never did anything uh, related to writing. Uh, it can't be. John Le Carre is way too young. I'm sure. Uh, right. She would have cooked Bambi. Yeah, we're looking for some. We're looking for someone American, not to take you away from other English-speaking parts of the world. Is it Mo Berg? Uh, no, although that was a baseball player, uh, right? Who who spied for the the U.S. Um, and who is uh, it? The Jono Donovan, OSS guy. No, or Alder James, nah, the Good Shepherd. Uh. Thinking in terms of uh, kind of who you know in the in the in the terms of the forties, that was a little bit before the Red Scare. Sure. Who is a who is a figure uh McCarthy. associated with spying or in that regard? Uh, the Ethelbert or the, the, the Rosenberg. That's uh, a good that's a good guess. Who else? Red scare spying uh Alger Hiss. No, that's Okay. So who 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 so, I mean, obviously, Alger has denied being a spy. There's still a lot of controversy over that. Who involved with that case was unambigu unambiguously was a spy? Fuchs. What? F-U-C-H-S uh, Fuchs. But who, who, pointed, who pointed the finger at Alger Hiss? Yeah. Really, Kazan? No. So, so we're down to the last minute. So I will just tell you that the the translator who translated Bambi into English was Whitaker Chambers. Ooh, well, of course it is. Uh, all right. So uh, thank you all for uh, for joining me. Um, it looks like we're down. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Thank thanks. Uh, I guess. Yeah, that was a lot thank of you. fun. Yogesh. Yeah, those are good questions. Thanks, Yogesh. That, that was a good time. Hard, but highly educational. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Worth the time for anyone. All right. See you all. Good night. All right. Good night. Let's see. Yeah, it's a, it just goes to less than a minute, and then of course that that last minute she is always longer than everyone thinks. You no, know, it feels like like we should just vamp on something until that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to 